0: Hey, everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Amen. Well, I'm excited and fired up this week because Pastor Matt has been on a 30-day sabbatical, and we will actually get him back this week. He'll be back in the office. And I'm thankful to you as a church for being supportive of him in this and, and really letting him rest and not just, you know, hey, Matt, I know you're on sabbatical, but could you? And, and really, you guys have done an amazing job. Um, we decided about halfway through that it was really important for, for Matt to have that sabbatical rest that our, our elders and bylaws established 20-some years ago. But we also discovered that the sabbatical rest really really was for us as a staff, like, you have no idea how much stuff I've gotten done in the last 30 days. It's, it's been so refreshing. And uh, so we had a staff meeting, and we, um, we have, starting Wednesday, when Matt's back in the office, we have some new policies. And I just want you to know that there's some effective change going on around here. And I just want to take a minute just to share a few of them. Some of them a little more personal, but uh, we're going to share these with Matt. So just so you know, we're making some great strides around here. Policy number one, shoes must be worn at all times while on campus. All right. There are times the boy has left for a meeting barefoot because he could not find his shoes. They were somewhere on campus, so like that's a that's that's a that's a policy. Uh, no dirty socks left in random places, Miss Terrible Cheek. Why is there a dirty sock in the nursery? I, we don't we don't even know. So all pro wrestling videos have been blocked from YouTube and other Hillspring devices. It's not true. We're just going to tell him that it is. All right. Uh, probably one of the most important ones. No one can reference themselves as Daddy anymore. <laughs> No stealing unlocked phones and sending devious tech messages to unsuspecting people. Can I get an amen? Uh, Cassie was a part of this conversation. She had some great insight, a couple of additions. Um, any bad attitudes towards Cassie equals automatic termination. Like a, um, Cassie is now your boss. Not really sure why the word now was needed. We all know what's going on there, right? You know? um, Make sure you properly spell the pastor's children's name. My poor child, she's scarred. That's not how you spell her name. I don't even know. One more. We, we want Matt to know how much as a church uh, we love and appreciate him and all he does for his church, but also for this community. Man, he's just a trophy of God's grace. He's a trophy of you and your investment and encouragement and love and, and believing. And I'm just really, this, I was really praying that some dots would connect for him. And really, it was about halfway through his sabbatical, some things we had planned for them, a switch kind of flipped. And I'm like, that's it. That's what I was looking for in his heart. And he's fired up. He keeps saying, "Daddy's back," and that's why we have that policy and and all that. We I just we're bl- Longevity is a blessing. And the average stay of a youth pastor is about eight months, nine months at any given church. And and Matt is the longest tenured by far, longest tenured youth pastor in St. Springs. He's been ours for 11 years. And there's some churches that have had five and six. In the time that he's been here. And and he's had other churches come after him. He's had had other churches in the community come after him. But he's had bigger churches come after him. And he always will say, same thing I say, hey, thank you, I'm flattered. But this is home. This is where God called me. And this is where God's called Matt. And so really excited to get him back. Amen, everybody. Open up your Bible to Mark chapter 3. We are on this journey with Jesus. And it lands us today in uh, Mark chapter 3. And Mark's going to tell us a little bit of a story about Jesus and his family and I just want to remind you the importance of doing this because this message is, is it's, it's going to be a little hard. And what my goal is is to let Scripture teach the Scripture. And, and that's why we walk through the book of Daniel. It's why we're walking through the book of Mark is because if you don't, It's easy to skip things like what I'm gonna talk about today because honestly, it's hard. Honestly, a lot of people won't dig into it. And so I'm just letting the Bible bring the bigger things to life that we talk about. And so Jesus' family is gonna be brought up. I know last week we went through a long list of 12 names and now we're gonna add some more names to that only to confuse it just a little bit. So Mark chapter three and verse 20, it says, one time Jesus entered a house and the crowds began to gather again. Soon he and his disciples Couldn't even find time to eat, so they're busy. Verse 21, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He is out of his mind, they've said. So this is the peak of Jesus' ministry. Obviously, he's very busy. The demand for him to heal, the demand for him to teach, the demand for him to do miracles, cast out evil spirits, it's it's nonstop, it's constant. They were so busy that he or his disciples didn't even have time to eat. And the context of this says that his fame, what he was doing, had reached his hometown of Nazareth. And his family's like, Jesus, what? He's lost his mind. So we know just very little about Jesus. So scripture brings it up. Text, preach the text. I want want to take just a second and pause and talk about Jesus' family and, and what we know. We know his mom was Mary. We meet her in the Christmas stories, in the Nativity stories. Where the angel appears to her and and she's supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so we know that Mary is Jesus' mom. We know there was a man that was not Jesus' biological father. Because Jesus was supernaturally conceived by God, by the Holy Spirit. But there was a man by the name of Joseph who was betrothed to Mary. And he was Jesus' earthly father. But he and Mary would go on to have children, which we're going to meet here in just a minute. By this time in Jesus' ministry, we believe Joseph is dead. We believe that he has passed away. From Matthew's gospel, I'm going to borrow just a couple of verses there. We know that Jesus went, one time he goes home. He goes back to his hometown of Nazareth, but the people just couldn't do it. Like, well, I remember, I remember little G, I remember you used to just watch my goats. I remember little Jesus, he used to, used to pay him $5 to mow my yard. And so when Jesus comes back and like, hey, by the way, um, you can't pinch the cheeks anymore, you know, and I'm the son of God, they couldn't go there. He was too familiar. Sometimes we struggle with things that are too familiar, seeing their full potential. Let me show you Matthew chapter 13. And they scoffed, they being the people of Nazareth when Jesus went home. Well, he's just a carpenter's son. We know Mary, we know his mom. We know his brothers, and then Matthew lists, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All of his sisters, it's plural, sisters, they live here among us. Where did he learn all these things? Verse 57, it says, and they were deeply offended. Holy Moses, be careful what you're deeply offended about. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. So from this passage, we understand that Jesus had four brothers And and they're listed there. Joseph, James, James who wrote the book, Simon, and Jude. Okay. It also mentions sisters, plural. So we know that Jesus at least had two, but it could have been three or four. Matthew doesn't give us an indication. He just says all of Jesus' sisters live here among us. So in Mark chapter 3, Jesus' family, they get word of his fame, they get word of what they're doing, and, and they... They don't come sit on the front row and cheer him on. Go, Jesus! They don't do that. They come and they try to take him home. When his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. This is what I don't understand. And there's a little bit of a gap here, but but I think maybe we can relate to it. In Matthew and Luke, they tell the Christmas story of how Mary knew that Jesus was special. I mean, the angel had appeared, It appeared to Mary, appeared to Joseph, and then the wise men and the shepherds, and they told the stories of the... Like Mary, when Jesus was an infant baby, and even when she was pregnant, she knew that Jesus was special. And now we get to this place in Mark chapter 3, where Mary shows up saying, Son, you've lost your mind. What happened? What was the disconnect? And I think about there's been times in my life where I felt like God gave me a word, but it just took him forever ever to bring that about and hope deferred you know like you just keep it kind of makes the heart grow weary and so the same thing with Mary like she remembered that 30 years ago but man nothing had happened and somewhere in there she lost the vision she lost the word that God had given her this is what I believe maybe some of you in here God spoke something to you years if not decades ago but it's yet to come to pass and I would say don't lose hope God is faithful in his time, not ours, not when we want it, but when it's best for us. God told Abraham, I'll make you the father of many nations. And Abraham got tired of waiting and tired of waiting. And he lost hope of that word. And he said, well, I guess I better do it myself. We are all capable of losing hope of the word that God gave us. And just hold on. I hope today that builds somebody's faith that God has just been silent for so long. Don't lose heart. Amen, everybody. I think there's one other quick note in there. It's funny, sometimes it is hard to see greatness in the things that are closest to us. But it's real easy to be impressed by strangers. So sometimes why dads probably had not a coach teams, had a conversation with the dad just this week, and he's like, Man, it's not good for me to coach my son because I know I'm, I'm twice as hard on him as I am on any other kids. It's so hard, the things that are familiar. It's so hard for us to see their full potential, but somebody we barely know, man, it's so easy to be impressed by them. And that's what's happened. Jesus' family, they just couldn't accept, you were just a carpenter's son, you're you're just a little bitty Jesus. Verse 22, but the teachers of religious law had arrived from Jerusalem. So we've moved on from the family, and now there's some scribes and and some religious elites, probably to some cemetery, I mean seminary professors showing up in your small group, right? And so these religious folks they show up and go, "Well, he's possessed by the devil, the prince of demons." That's where he gets his power to cast out Satan's. It's from the devil, and Jesus calls him over. And I, I love the beauty of this conversation he has with them. He says, Come here, and he responds with this illustration. How can Satan? Cast out Satan. You guys understand that a kingdom divided against itself by civil war will collapse. A family that's splintered by feuding will, will fall apart. And so, if Satan is divided, it means he's fighting against himself, then how can he stand? He wouldn't even survive. He goes one step further. Let me illustrate this a little more who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods? Only someone even stronger, someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. All right. So you have these elites that show up on the scene and they're going, oh no, he's not of God. He's of the devil. And Jesus is like, okay, think about what you just said. I'm over here casting out demons that are evil spirits on the devil's side. And you're saying that I'm the devil, casting out the devil. Like, that doesn't make sense because if an army starts shooting bullets at each other, they're not going to win the war. You're saying I'm using the power of Satan to overcome Satan. Your logic doesn't make any sense because a house divided, it will fall. And then he says, let me put it this way. What if you have a big, strong bodybuilder like Pastor Joe, you know? First service thought that's hilarious. So whatever, y'all, y'all do you, you do. Okay. You got a big, strong guy that has a house and the only way you can go in and rob the house is to overpower him, to manhandle him. So this is what Jesus is saying. Yes, the power of darkness is real. Yes, the power of Satan is strong. But Jesus is saying, by the way, I'm stronger because I have the ability to cast out evil spirits out of people and set them free. That's a good place to say amen. I'm well, warm you up a little bit. I'll help you through this. It's all right. going to be that church. All right, Mark chapter 3. Then he says this, and and scholars and theologians have wrestled. I tell you the truth, all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. Amen. There's nothing so bad that you've done that God's grace and mercy and the blood that was shed by Jesus on the cross can forgive you of your sins. That ought to make you jump up, shout, and holler. Verse 29, and this is where your brain starts to hurt. But anyone who blasphemed the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. This is a sin with eternal consequences. He told them because they were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. This this is a powerful moment. It's a powerful statement from Jesus. That blasphemy of the Holy Spirit would have eternal consequences. And so it's had scholars and theologians and pastors and writers debating and pondering for centuries... What, what all this means. Because he begins by saying, verse 28, that all sin and blasphemy can be forgiven. Everything, and then he goes, except one. Okay? E- except one. And this is where you now just kind of scratch your head and swallow hard and go, anyone who blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. Well, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in that category because I do want to find forgiveness. And when he says, this is sin with eternal consequences, you know what he's meaning? Womp, womp, womp. You're going to the hot place. H-E double hockey sticks. Okay? So blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness for that sin. And we've called this the unpardonable sin or the unforgivable sin. And I don't want to do that. I don't know about you, but I kind of like to know what it is so I don't accidentally stumble off over in there and accidentally blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And so it's important that we understand what that is. Amen, everybody? So, context. Context means I've got this verse and I'm gonna surround it with all the information. Who he's talking to, what's going on, the players that are involved. To understand what is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, we have to understand the context of this verse. Okay? So that's what I'm gonna do. And and I'm going to jump into what the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit. This is the third time that Mark brings up the Holy Spirit. And so I I want to jump in and I want to talk about it. And part of the context is verse 30. Jesus said this. He said, you can blaspheme people, places, things. You can do all that but one sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. If you do that, baby, you're, it's a one-way ticket to hell. He said this because they were saying that he was possessed by an evil spirit. It's just a little bit of a nugget to help us understand. All right, If you guys are still with me, say, let's go. All right, I need you to nudge your neighbor because you, you're going to have to help them stay awake. Because we're going we're gonna to go into some theology here. Again, All the good-looking, smart people out of first service thought this was a great message. Just go in there, all right? So, who is the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? What's he do? What's the role? What's the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Well, first and foremost, he is the third person of the Trinity. So, what we refer to in theology is the Godhead. It's made up of three parts, Okay, you have God the Father who is seated on the throne. I personally believe he's always been seated on the throne. I don't think he's ever left the throne. I think God the Father is seated on the throne. And as I unpack the rest, you'll understand why I think that. You can think differently. It's okay. It's fine. There's no definitive either way. But I just think he's always been seated on the throne. And then so you have God the Father. Then you have God the flesh, which is Jesus, the Son of God. Okay, And so I believe in the Bible, like for example, in Genesis after Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and it says that God came walking in the garden looking for them, I think that was Jesus. Because keep in mind, he's a part of the Godhead. He is fully God. He's also fully man, but he is fully God. And so anytime in the Old Testament where you, I saw the face of God, they saw Jesus. It's what we call a Christophany. It's an appearance of God before Jesus was ever born. I know it hurts, but the things, the ways of God are higher than our ways, and sometimes you just have to have the faith to believe. Amen? So you've got God the Father seated on the throne. You have God the flesh, who is Jesus, that any time in the Old Testament someone said, I saw God, that's what they saw, and then obviously he was born of the Virgin Mary. And then you have the third person of the Godhead, which is the Holy Spirit or God's spirit. The older translations call it the Holy Ghost. Woo! Just gives you all the chills, right? There. Okay. So in the Old Testament, the word was ruach. <clears throat> Sorry, I brought something up. So ruach, you kind of have to say it with a growl, ruach, and it means breath or wind or essence, presence like you ever been asleep and just know somebody's standing there looking at you? Like you feel the essence, it's creepy, right? Holy Spirit's not creepy, just clarify what I'm saying. But there's the essence, it's the presence, it's the, the, the wind, the breath of God. In the New Testament, which was written in the Greek, the word is pneuma, carries the same meaning. It means a power, can I get an amen? It's the essence, it's the, the blast of air, it's, it's the breath the essence of God. It is the Spirit of God. today, like even the revival that's going on at Asbury out in Kentucky, people, oh man, God's presence is there. That is the Holy Spirit. That is the essence. that is the breath. That's the Holy Spirit that's there. Oh man. The Lord was there. It's the Spirit of God that people experience. So there's four assigned ministries of the Holy Spirit that are in Scripture. Now keep in mind, He's a part of the Godhead, so he can do whatever he wants to. That's part of getting to be God. Okay, But Scripture, and mainly Jesus tells us there's four things that the Holy Spirit does in your life and in my life, and there's four roles, there's four ministries of the Holy Spirit. Are you ready? If you're taking notes, you can write this down. We're going to start John chapter 14, verse 26. It says, when the Father sends the advocate, some of the older translations say comforter, as my representative... Let me be clear, that's the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus talking. When God sends the advocate, that is, when he sends the Holy Spirit, Jesus, very specifically, who he's talking about. He will teach you everything. He will remind you of everything that I've told you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to... This is after the Last Supper that Jesus has had with his disciples. And before he's gone to the garden, and maybe he's walking. We, we don't know. But this is after the Last Supper and before he would be arrested... He's just reminding them of the three years of ministry, the three years of teaching. And it's beautiful. John 14, 15, and 16. And I think part of 17 is just this beautiful kind of discipleship sermon that he's preaching to his disciples. And then 17 and 18 are this beautiful prayer that Jesus prays while he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so I'm going I'm to kind of go through his speech. I'm going to start in John chapter 14. And the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is he comforts me. Because that's the name Jesus gave him, when the comforter or the advocate. So so the word can be described as a person who would bring comfort. We did ministry yesterday to a family that had lost a loved one. The Holy Spirit brought comfort, a peace that's beyond our understanding. But that word can also be translated as a word like an attorney standing before a judge advocating for you. Okay, so that's why Jesus says the comforter or or your advocate. So the Holy Spirit is advocating on our behalf before God the Father. Now, in that, Jesus is very specific what the comforter does. So the Holy Spirit comforts me, but in doing that, he's also teaching me through a word we use, Revelation oh man, I received fresh, fresh revelation from the Holy Spirit. Like when you open up the Bible and you've read that time and time and time again, but then you open it up and you see something, that's the Holy Spirit bringing revelation. Let me give you an example. Talked about this last week when we were talking about the disciples. Remember Simon Peter, who was the one that said, Jesus, I think you're the Messiah. Jesus has his disciples there in a circle. And he's like, hey, what, what are they saying out there? What are they? Who do they think I am? Well, some think you're Elijah the prophet. Some think you're John the Baptist? What about you guys? You've been with me. Who do you think I am? And Simon Peter says, Well, I think you're the Messiah. And right there in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn this by reading books, you didn't learn this as a human being. The Holy Spirit revealed to Simon that Jesus was the Messiah. And you're going to see that's part of the role of the Holy Spirit, okay? He's to teach us, it's it's the revelation. You and I, as followers, we have the opportunity to hear the voice of God the Father. And honestly, that's the voice of the Holy Spirit. And that'll all make sense as we walk through this. So Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon. Because the Holy Spirit revealed this to you, and then he goes on to say, I don't have the verse, but he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Well, some Peter meant that Peter was the rock, and he's the father of the church. That's not what that means. Upon this rock that Peter received, he received instruction, He received revelation from the Holy Spirit. That is how the church is going to work. That's how God wants to speak to his kids. That's how God wants to speak to the body of Christ is that we receive revelation from the Holy Spirit. Amen everybody? You and I have the ability to learn from the Holy Spirit. Now I want to be real clear here those revelations that we get from the Holy Spirit, they must, they must, they must, line up with the word of God. It cannot go against scripture. Well, I just feel like the Lord wants me to divorce my wife and kids and go run off with this little floozy over here. God ain't going to tell you that. He ain't. This revelation must line up with the scripture and the word of God. I feel like it's important to say that. Okay? So John chapter 15, we were in John 14, same sermon, just a little bit later, Jesus uses the same phrasing. He says, I'm going to send you the comforter, I'm going to send you the advocate. Let me be clear who I'm talking about, the spirit, the pneuma of truth. And he will come to you from the Father, and he says this, and he's gonna testify about me. Now, a minute ago he said, listen, he's he's gonna comfort you, he's gonna teach you, but now he's gonna testify me. So, number one, the Holy Spirit comforts me. Number two, the Holy Spirit confesses who Jesus is. He is always pointing to Jesus. He's always pointing everyone, everything back to Jesus. God's spirit is throughout the earth doing his job, pointing people to Jesus. He's begging, he's inviting, he's pointing people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen, everybody? So let me take you to Romans. You don't have to turn there. I'll put it on the screen, Romans chapter one. They, these are people that are apart from Christ. They, they know the truth about God. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's doing his job. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing, for knowing God. Okay. Okay. That's what the Spirit of God, the pneuma of God, that's what the Holy Ghost is doing. He can use creation. He can use the stars. He can use the heavens. He can use situations. He can use crisis. He can use circumstances. He can use the preaching of the word. He can use a friend. He can use a loving family member. He can use an angry family member. He's using all of these things to point, to confess that Jesus is the guy you need to know. There is only one way into relationship with God the Father, and that is through Jesus. The Holy Spirit confesses the truth about Jesus. Okay, so he comforts, he confesses. Number three, closely related to number two, okay? John 16. I went John 14, John 15, now John 16. If you're still with me, say, I am. am. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because they're starting, Jesus is saying, like, I gotta go, and they're starting to get a little pouty, you know, no, 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 it's for your good. Because if I don't, here he uses the same phraseology, the comforter, the advocate, he won't come. Like while I'm here, he's up there. But when I leave, if I do go away, then, then I'll send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of sin, he'll convict the world of God's righteousness, and he'll convict of the coming judgment. All three of those are a conviction. Okay? The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. So the Holy Spirit comforts me. The Holy Spirit confesses who Jesus is. And then number three, the Holy Spirit convicts me. Okay? Not condemns. Condemnation is a very heavy guilt and a very heavy shame that God couldn't love me. that, That is not The work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's convicting is a pulling. It's a sweet, I love the word wooing. Some of the words the old theologians used to use. Okay? And verse 16 says he convicts us in three areas. He convicts me of sin. Like I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And then he convicts me of righteousness. And Jesus said, I'm righteous because I've, I've gone to the cross. I shed my blood for the forgiveness of sin. On the third day, I resurrected. I overcame the power of sin and death. And now I'm going to be up at the Father, meaning that has all been resolved. Jesus is my Savior. And then he says he is going to convict of an eternal judgment, meaning heaven and hell are real. And what you do with Jesus determines where you're going to go. So he convicts of those three things, of sin, righteousness, and eternal judgment. The Holy Spirit is what begs people into this process of salvation. Paul said, "Work out, not work for, but work out your salvation with fear and trepidation." And it's the Holy Spirit that's inviting and begging and pointing people to Jesus. Now, not everybody's testimony is the same. It's just that the way you got saved is different than the way that I got saved. The way that you got saved is different than the way she got saved. Okay, everyone's testimony is unique. But the process of salvation is laid out in Scripture for us. So I want to kind of quickly scratch the surface of that. Are you guys ready? Okay, because this, this is where your brain might start to hurt. Because Adam and Eve <sniffs> ate the apple or sin fruit, whatever it was, Okay, they entered sin into the human equation. So our great, 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 great times, whatever, great granddaddy, he brought sin into the human equation. You were conceived in sin. You were born into sin. Nothing you could do about it. You are born a sinner. You're broken. You're a sinner. The Bible says you were dead, stuck in sin. Okay? And the Holy Spirit is what makes you aware of that. You don't know you have cancer until the doctor says, hey, it's cancer. Like, it, you just, you don't know. You, you do not have the capability to go, you know what? I'm a sinner. You can't do that all by yourself. It's because the Holy Spirit is doing his job, convicting of sin. And the Holy Spirit starts working on you. He uses the word of God. He uses people, he uses creation. He uses whatever to show people that you are a sinner. And he convicts you and he takes you right to the foot of Jesus. And he, remember he's confessing? John fourteen six. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way to get saved. You cannot get saved through the 10 pillars of Islam. Buddha ain't gonna get you there. Satanism sure ain't gonna get it done. Jesus is the way, truth, and the life, and somebody else. to say amen. amen. I'm sorry, there's not another older, more mature pastor. This is it. Like I'm not the youth guy filling in. This is just what you, what you got. If you're new, I'm sorry, okay? Jesus made, made us righteous, and one of the meetings for the word righteous is right standing. Because he shed his blood, died on the cross, overcame the power of sin, death when he was resurrected. If you, if you if the Holy Spirit brings you right to the foot of the cross, you place your faith in Jesus, Jesus is what puts you in right standing. Okay? Romans chapter 10. I, I use this most almost every week. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you might be saved. No, it says you will. You will be saved. If if you declare Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, it's by openly declaring the faith that you are saved. So this is what the Holy Spirit does. He's like, hey, you're broken. You've got a cancer. You, You are sick. Let me point you to the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one way to fix this. Buddha ain't gonna get it done for you. Meditation ain't gonna get it for you. Like you're sick and this is the doctor that can fix you, it's Jesus. And he takes you right here and he places you at the foot of the cross. But according to Romans chapter 10, now it's on me what I do with that. I have to confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I have to believe in my heart, God supernaturally raised him from the dead. If you do that, you will be saved. It's on you to take that step of faith. If you confess and believe, you surrender your life to Jesus, then this happens. If you're still with me, say, "Uh-huh." uh-huh. Okay. Ephesians 1:13. And now you Gentiles, that's good. Cuz I'm a Gentile, I'm not a Jew. Bible's in two categories of people, Gentiles and Jews. There's the Jews and then there's everybody else in Gentiles. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, thank goodness. The good news that God saves you and when you believed in Christ, when you confessed and believed, He identified you as his own. One of the translations says he sealed you by giving you pneuma. When you you confessed and believed, God gave you his spirit. He sealed you. His essence, his presence came to live inside of you. Amen? So when you place your faith in Jesus, God seals you with his Holy Spirit. Jesus died on the cross to save you but it's the Holy Spirit that was begging you and calling you and it took you right to the foot of the cross and it was up to you if I was gonna respond to that, confess and believe or reject that, okay? So there's one other, one other thing that the Holy Spirit does found outside of the Gospels. So far, John has, has told us the three things. Now here's the fourth one found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It is the only, It is excuse me, the one and only Spirit who distributes all these gifts. He's being clear, just like Jesus being clear. Listen, I'm being very clear. It's the Holy Spirit of God. He alone decides which gift each person should have. And you can go read 1 Corinthians 12. There's a lot more there just for the sake of time. This verse summed it up. That we as believers, when when we confess and believe, Holy Spirit comes in and seals us. The Holy Spirit gives us a spiritual gift that is my contribution to the church. So, the Holy Spirit commissions me with a gift. That's number four. The Holy Spirit commissions me with a gift. Survey said, there it is. He empowers, He gives you a spiritual ability. That's your contribution to the church in your generation. Some of them are wisdom. Some people just have a spiritual gift of wisdom, some people don't. There's faith. There's Some people have the gift of healing. Some people have a gift of prophecy. Some have the gift of administration. Some have the gift of teaching. Some have the gift of word of knowledge. Like there's over 20 spiritual gifts that are given to the body to make it function and effective in its generation and its time. It's the pneuma, it's the spirit of God that commissions you with your spiritual gift to make a contribution. We want you to know what your gift is. That's why we, we take just a special session of teaching what we call growth track. Okay? There's step one, step two. We want you to know what your spiritual gift is. So step one is we want you to know who we are as a church. Like we talk about how we make decisions and who's who and so on and so forth. But then the session right after that is step two. We want you to know who you are in Christ. And so we talk about your spiritual gift. And and, and I talked to you about how, like as a church, we see how that plays and That is this Wednesday night at 6:30. Some of you guys have been coming for, for months, you've been coming for a while. I, I don't Preachers kind of Corky, I don't know. Just come on. Jump in. Be a part of the body of Christ called Hill Spring Church. Be here Wednesday night at 6.30. I will have child care for you. All you need to bring is your happy heart. I'll bring the book and I'll bring the pizza and we will have a pizza party and we will go through growth track. Step one and two if you want to this Wednesday at 6.30 and everybody said amen. Come on church. Don't we want some folks to go through growth track? Be here this Wednesday. We'll have child care waiting and I'm, I'm very calm. All right. So I've walked through the four assigned things of the Holy Spirit, but that's not the point of Mark chapter three. The point of Mark chapter three is Jesus said, you know, you can blaspheme any people, person, place, or thing, but don't you blaspheme the Holy Spirit because that has eternal consequences. So let's circle back around to what does it mean to blaspheme the Holy Spirit? And so I needed you to have a background of what the Holy Spirit did It's kind of funny because you could go ask, hey, what's the Holy Spirit do? And you're going to get a variety of answers. I just want to go to the Bible. My goal for you is when your kids go, mommy, what's the Holy Spirit do? Well, baby, it's so good that you ask. Pastor Brent just talked. That's my goal is for you to clearly see in Scripture the roles of the Holy Spirit. But we need to have some background because I don't want to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Do you? No. Okay, so what does it mean? The original word that's translated blasphemio. Well, that sounds really sure. That's where we get the word blaspheme. And it obviously it means to blaspheme, but it means to speak evil of, to speak negatively of, to kind of rail on, okay? So context, we're circling the events of that verse. What happened? Jesus had been doing miracles. Jesus had just cast a spirit out of a man, okay? And the scribes show up, remember, are astute. They're like, well, he can only do that because of the devil. The devil made him do it. He always wondered where that came from. He has the power of Satan. And Jesus said, your logic doesn't even make sense. So you're saying Satan, cast out Satan. Like a kingdom that operates that way is no kingdom at all. And so Jesus said, listen, you can blaspheme and talk about people, places, things, and be forgiven. But if you blaspheme, if you speak evil, if you speak lies about it, if you rail on the power of Numa, the power of the Holy Spirit... There is no forgiveness of that. This is the unforgivable sin. This will send you to hell. It has eternal consequences. Got real serious up in this Babylonian church. This is where I frustrate some people, okay? Because this is confusing. And I admit it's confusing. Can I be honest with you? We're not exactly sure what Jesus was saying, so we have to circle it in context. We have to say, well, this is what was happening. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the roles of the Holy Spirit. This is what we think Jesus is saying. But when you go back to the original language, it's a little bit confusing. And I'm always one that will go, you know what? This is what I think it is. But if you want to think it's something different, okay. I I handle Scripture very open handedly, and some people that frustrates because I'll hear things like, well, I've always been taught, well, la di da. So what is it? And I want to be careful here because I confused first service. There's three different ways this can go, but I just got word that the Methodists are already out of church, and so if we're going to beat them to Mazio's, I got to wrap this bad boy up. Okay. <laughs> all right. So there's three different ways this could go. I'm not going to answer all three of those. You can go do the research. You, you can do. I'm going to talk about the one that predominantly Christendom. The church thinks this is what this means, but there are other options out there. Love for you to go do some reading, but I'm just going to talk about the one. This is what this is what I believe. So what we, as a church, believe this is what we believe it means to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to explain to you how I got there. And she's walking up, means I better wrap this bad boy up. I told her to come up there. It's fine. Obviously, you don't want to speak evil of the Spirit of God, and that can be one of the, just don't speak evil of the spirit of God. Okay, obviously, don't do that. Um, this is what we think it means that the Holy Spirit was revealing to people, like Simon, I say you're the Messiah. The Holy Spirit was revealing to people that Jesus is the Son of God. Remember, that's part of what he does. He's confessing, Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. He's always pointing. And the scribes that showed up rejected that. They rejected the Spirit of God telling people Jesus is the Messiah. They rejected that. They said, He is not from God. Well, by doing that, they're basically saying the Spirit of God's lying. They're saying, Jesus, you're lying. He's from the devil. Okay? They're blaspheming, they're calling the Holy Spirit a liar. I don't want to do that, okay? So in essence, they were rejecting the message that the Holy Spirit's been preaching since creation that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. They were rejecting the message that Jesus is the only begotten Son. They were rejecting the idea that salvation comes by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone. They were rejecting the idea that salvation comes through Jesus. And when you reject that idea, you're saying the Holy Spirit is a liar. In essence, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. So this is what we believe. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is rejecting the salvation that's offered through Jesus Christ. Now, there's some other possibilities that are out there. But I'm telling you, most of them like, well, I've always been taught I'm just telling you, this is the way I unpack Scripture. You can see it differently. Absolutely. That's the beauty of the gospel message. Okay? I wish Jesus would have been more clear and said, well, A, B, C. But he just said, just don't blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Okay. The Holy Spirit is confessing, convicting, teaching people that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the way, the truth, and the life. If you deny that, you are saying the Spirit of God is a liar. If you reject the saving message of the gospel, you will not be saved. Let me say that again, a little bit slower. If you reject the saving message of Jesus, you will not be saved. And you will spend eternity in hell. When Jesus said there's eternal consequences, that's what he meant. If you reject the saving message that the Holy Spirit is teaching, if you reject that, it has eternal consequences, which is hell. So, one one. One of the questions is, what if I have accidentally blasphemed the Holy Spirit at some point in my life? Because the Bible says it's unforgivable. What if I did it and I didn't know it? Okay, here's here's the best response I can give you. If you're genuinely worried about that, you didn't, okay? It's the people who could care less about Jesus. He'd care less about salvation could care less about heaven and hell i have some family members up in california that my grandparents every year would go to see them and every year my grandfather would do his best to share the gospel with him and one time they said bill if you're coming up here to tell us about jesus you can stop coming and probably you know somebody like that my friends that is my definition of blaspheming the holy spirit They want nothing to do with Jesus. They want nothing to do with eternity in heaven. They're saying the Holy Spirit of God is a liar. They are blaspheming the presence of God. If you are worried, that's a good sign that you're good. It's the folks that are headed for hell, and they're fine with it. That's who has blasphemed and rejected the message of grace of Jesus Christ. Amen? Where are you at today? Here's even what I think. There could have been a time in your life where you were mad at God. But but you can still, the Holy Spirit can still beg and call and pull you in. And you can still confess with your mouth and believe and still be saved. And I just wonder in a room this size, is there somebody in here that you're wondering, am I in right relationship with God? Like when you lay your head on your pillow at night and you you go to sleep, there's no peace there because you're just not sure. Maybe you've been to a funeral and then that funeral, like I wonder what's going on, like what happens, and ooh, what happens to me next? God never intended for me be complicated. That's why he said all you gotta do is confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you will be saved. I wanna help you do that. There's no magic words, there's no magic chant, no magic formula. I just wanna lead you in a prayer and, and it's not a magic prayer. It's just a prayer of sincerity. It's the best way that I know how to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe with your heart, God raised him from the dead that you can be saved. So all across this room, nobody moving around, every head bowed, every eye closed, somebody's eternity may be on the line. And if you're here today, you know that you're not in right relationship with the Lord. I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Are you ready? Right there at your seat. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to walk the aisle. I just want you to pray this prayer. That's what's important. Say, Dear Heavenly Father. Right there. Just, Dear Heavenly Father. I come to you today. Because I need you. I made a lot of mistakes in my life. I don't want that anymore. Would you come into my life? Would you forgive me? Would you change me? Make me a new person? Today, Jesus, I surrender my whole life to you. Every head's still bowed, every eye's still closed. You're here today, nobody's looking around. Maybe you're even watching online and you prayed that prayer. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to make you walk the aisle. If you prayed that prayer, just slip up your hand real high. Anybody here? Slip it up real high. I want to pray for you. The Spirit of the living God, fall fresh upon us. Lord, we want to be instruments of the Holy Spirit to see hundreds of people, hundreds of kids, hundreds of students give their life to Jesus. Father, we want to be instruments of revival. Lord, what do you need from us? What do you want in us? What do you want to convict in us to prepare our hearts for revival? Oh, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh upon us today. God, we're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that called us into a loving, forgiving, gracious, empowering relationship with God, our creator. In the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody says, come on, give Jesus the biggest praise you got in your belly this morning. Amen. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I wanna invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the give now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.